talking to some of the best names in contemporary Christian music. This is the Hope FM Artist Interview. Welcome along to this episode of The Artist Interview, a podcast from Hope FM. I'm your host, Gordon T, and it's my honour and privilege to bring some of the brightest and best names from around the world of contemporary Christian music. And this week, we've got someone with an amazing history from the world of contemporary Christian music. It's none other than Tim Jupp. Tim, obviously, was from Delirious and was there right from the start to the very, very end. But also, he is a man that has created the Big Church Day Out, which is the biggest Christian music festival in Europe. It's totally amazing. So he's going to tell us some of the story of how that started out with Delirious and what God is doing with him right now. So before I talk for too long, let's play this track by Delirious. It's from their farewell show live in London in 2010. And the track is called Obsession. And that was Obsession by Delirious, and I'm very pleased to welcome Tim Jupp to the show. Hey, Tim, how are you doing? You're doing great, thanks, Gordon. Good to be with you. Welcome back to Hope FM. It's great to have you with us. Um, I've been a fan of Delirious for, actually, personally, a long time. I imagine it's a huge part of your life, although you've moved on from it. Before we talk about Delirious and the things you're doing right now, would you be happy to share a bit about your faith journey? How, in the very first place, you came to decide that you wanted to follow Jesus and the difference that's made to your life? How did that come about? Yeah, well, I was uh, uh, grateful to be brought up in a very Christian home. I was a good Baptist boy back in the day. Uh, always lived in Sussex on the south coast near the sea and in different places. And so really I had my mum and dad to be grateful for, for bringing me up in that way and you know, I can remember definitely making a decision. I think what happens is, is you know, you brought up in the Christian home, you probably become a Christian many times over as a child. <laughs> but I think certainly as a teenager, when you start to own that for yourself, I can remember that time. And, uh, you, know, you know, and it's something obviously, you know, you know being, having ha- then had my own children, something, you know, you wish for your kids too, that they're on their own kind of journey and, personal kind of experience of, yeah, absolutely. of a relationship with Jesus. And that's certainly what happened for me, certainly during my teenage years. I wasn't kind of, I wasn't the, the rebellious guy. I don't have a dark story to tell. <laughs> that, maybe that's something to celebrate, isn't it, actually? So uh, a testament certainly do not have to be filled with darkness yeah. being changed to light. And we're all redeemed and, and born again uh, once we follow Jesus. So it's, it's one of those things that actually it's great. You've been spared from that. So what were you like at school? Um, yeah, I was kind of, I was probably a little bit on the geeky side. I loved sport. Um, I loved music back then. But I, I would say... I wasn't that studious. I mean, even today, if I have to write something for somebody or report for something or something like that, that feel, always conjures back the idea of homework to me and thinking, gosh, this feels like being back at school. Because I never really, you know, I I'm not a great reader of books. I don't like writing a lot. I think I obviously loved the experience of school as a whole, but I wouldn't say... 
I'm the world's best academic by any means. No, well, you're probably the world's best something, just not academic necessarily, and and that's fine. <laughs> but music-wise, you said you like music and you you were into music at the time. So, who were you listening to back then when you were at school? Oh, when I was at gosh, I can't even remember that far back. <laughs> I can remember those a uh, in terms of the Christian stuff. We moved to um, to a town called Worthing when I was about thirteen. That was my first experience. We joined, I guess, what would have been you know, loosely called a charismatic church back in that, back in the day, you know, and that, you know, that's kind of back in the eighties. So I think that was quite an amazing experience being around at that time when churches were experienced renewal. I can remember going to this church and there was this old guy called Ron, who was a um, retired semi-professional jazz musician. And he used to play the, ch- the piano at this church and he was an absolute inspiration to me. And, and I thought, gosh, I'd love to do what you do. And I, I sort of tried to hang out with this old guy a bit and pick up some tips. I can remember one of the things he always said to me was, he said, don't give me the music, it winds me up. He couldn't bear seeing music. He, he played everything by ear. <laughs> That's a real gift. I think I'd love to do that, yeah. So he was, he was a big influence. And um, I think that was the first time I got excited really about worship music and it was very very early days of kind of the contemporary side of worship music and even then you know people moving away from singing more traditional hymns and stuff at church and there were people starting to write worship songs I think people like um, the Vineyard guys in the US back in the day and so it kind of capture some of what was going on I found that quite an inspiration and in fact I would say at a very early age about 14 15 I really feel like God spoke to me and gave me a real vision for being involved in music in the kind of church world but I had I didn't know concept or framework for what that could look like and I remember saying to the guy who was the pastor of the church I was at at the time he quizzed me once, he said, well, kind of, well, what do you want to do, you know, once you finish school? I said, well, I just want to do this, I want to do music in the church. And he said, well, there's no chance of doing that because he says no churches employ anyone for that. You can't make a career out of that. You can't do that for a job. Well, maybe if you were a really, really good organist, you might have found a job, but that, that wasn't your heart, was it, at all? Yeah, that, that was literally it. And the only places back then who were starting to do that were in America which felt, you know, like a, another world. So well, I kind of hang on to that dream and, and, and one thing led to another. In yeah. the end. Well, that's, that's an understatement if I've ever heard of it. But it, just, to, just to sort of pick up on a bit there, you said that you were in the Baptist background, but then you moved to this new church when you moved town and the church, you said it was sort of a charismatic church. Can you explain to listeners what, what was the difference then between the, the church you'd been in? Because many churches that are Baptist these days would say they are charismatic. So how did that express itself and what was it like for you as a teenager? Yeah, I think that church was really exploring what it meant to be, you know, in terms of being filled with the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This was the first kind of time I'd been around that kind of environment. And then the church I was in started to do a gathering where it gathered churches in the area we lived in and they met in the town hall for a celebration because I think worship then became a bigger part of the agenda of these these churches back at that time and I can remember as about 15 16 year old being asked to 
be part of the worship team. And we had these celebration meetings in the town hall, about a thousand people would come from different churches. Wow, I love it when there's unity and worshiping together across the churches. Sounds like the sort of thing Jesus would like too. Yeah, and I got really, and at that point I thought, wow, this is an exciting thing to be part of. I mean, I imagine if we went back now, you know, and listened to what was going on, I, was, I suspect it was pretty terrible. <laughs> I don't <laughs> really knew what we were doing, but you know, you can remember the feelings, you can remember that feeling, feeling like, well, God showed up. They were good times, but you're talking about 40 years ago. But but even so, just, just say, when you're 15, 16, I'm assuming you were playing keyboards. Is that right? Yeah, it was, yeah. You know, okay, you're playing keyboards to, to a, a crowd of a thousand people is quite an amazing thing to be doing. So I can see that even from quite a young age, God was already preparing you for things that were to come. So, so there you are, 15, 16 years old. Uh, you're, you're finishing your school, coming towards the end of that, but wanting to be doing music in the church where no such career existed. So how did you change? What, what happened from doing the songs in the town hall for the churches to becoming part of a band? Uh, well, it's, I'll give you the short version of the story. When we did those celebration meetings, there was a guy who used to come, who was one of the, one of the local churches got invited called Ishmael, who did kids stuff. And because I was playing at that, he gave me a call. I'd never met the guy. He said, we're doing the children's ministry at Spring Harvest. Would you come? I need to put a band together for children's work. So I was about 17 then, 16, 17. And I went to be part of that Spring Harvest. And then I ended up working with him for about 10 or 11 years. And we, and, and, and we were traveling around doing kind of kids praise party things for families and stuff. And we also used to make a lot of records. And then, uh, and then out, out, of the back of the, out of the back of that, I started producing all the, the kids' records for him and then for other people. And in, in the end, we were doing so many kids' records that I thought, you know what, we should just buy some gear and make them ourselves instead of going to studios, which we, had, which we were doing at the time. So we invested in some equipment and I put this little studio together. And this actually leads us into... The second song that I chose, which is a song by Matt Redman, and I think we're going to play this in a minute, aren't we, Show. Yeah, we certainly will. Uh, Matt, Matt Redman was this young worship leader guy, and I was working with a friend of mine called Martin Smith, and the two of us ran this studio together. And Matt became a friend, and he was just on his beginning of his journey as a worship leader, and uh, he'd been leading worship um, for, for New Wine, had a youth part to it this is kind of even pre-soul survivor so matt used to come and i can remember he'd come down for a few weeks at a time and start working on these records and then when matt had kind of done his job for the day he'd go off stay at a b&b down the road and then me and martin would nick back to the studio unbeknown to him and start fiddling around with his tracks a bit so i'm not credited for it but i did confess to matt actually not that long ago i said I'm a, I actually play the piano on quite a few of your songs on your first two records. <laughs> we stuck little bits on late at night when no one was around. We needed a little bit and a little bit of this and a bit of that. And I don't even remember which bits they are, to be honest. So I'm, I'm probably credited for some of it. and I'm probably appear on other bits that no one knows about. But, I, you know, Matt and I became friends then, and we've been friends ever since. And uh, I, I, when I look back, I think, well, what a privilege it was to be connected to somebody like him who's obviously gone on and now written 
you know, much, much bigger songs that have really travelled the globe and come, I guess, the modern day hymns and standards for the church across much of the world today. Um, so that's the kind of context for having this song, Better Is One Day, uh, because it brings back memories for me of Matt as a young, you know, a young guy standing in my studio um, and there was Matt and Martin and me making his records together. Oh. And uh, it all comes flagging back when you hear the music. Absolutely fantastic, Tim. So let's hear that track right now. This is Better Is One Day by Matt Redman. Better is one day in your clothes. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your clothes. Thousands of smiles. Better is one day in your clothes. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your clothes. Thousands of smiles. And that was Better Is One Day by Matt Redman and clearly it's based on Psalm 84 uh, and Tim Jupp is still with us uh, for the artist interview. Tim, what a great choice. Uh, Better Is One Day in your house. What a great song. I mean, it's timeless, isn't it? It's timeless when you sing scripture too. You know, Better Is One Day in your courts and a thousand elsewhere. And I think, you know, even... In, you know, the hard year and a half that everybody's gone through with the pandemic and everything. What a great song to remind us and keep our kind of focus and uh, perspective on things, really, because people have had a tough time, haven't they? But to be reminded, you know, of that perspective on life, that having a relationship with God better is one day with him than all the other rubbish that we've been through, you know, over the last year and a half for a lot of us. One day in his presence is amazing. It, uh, you know what? There's going to be some people listening right now, Tim, who don't yet even know what it is to have a relationship with God. Um, but I'm going to ask you to pray uh, if you're happy to. I'd love you to pray for, for two things, really. I'd like you to pray for those people who are already following Jesus and they know him as their friend and their Lord. But I'd also love it if you would pray for those people who are going, yeah, what, what would it look like to spend some time in Jesus' presence? Would he be interested? I'd love you to pray for those people as well. Um, over to you, Tim. Great. So, Father God, we just say thank you to you. We are grateful to you for the opportunity and the amazing thing it is to get to know you and have a relationship with you. So I'm grateful to you, God, for that. I'm grateful that I've got to know you and I've known you since I was young and the difference that's made in my life. And every day, you know, I think like that song says, better is one day in your course than anything else. Um, it's, you know, it's a great reminder of, you know, what you've done for us and I'm grateful for that. And, and so God, I pray now for anyone else who doesn't yet have that experience personally. We pray that you open people's hearts up towards you. And um, we thank you, God, that you know everything about us. And, and, and even if we don't, you know, recognize you there, we thank you, God, that you are there. And it's just a really question of us calling out to you. And so I pray, God, that you make yourself really real to people now as we um, continue to chat together in over these coming days. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Tim. And if you're listening and you want to find out more about the Christian faith, please feel free to get in contact with us here at Hope FM by emailing studio at hopefm.com 
or you can find a church local to yourself anywhere across the UK by going to www.findachurch.co.uk. So, Tim, we've barely scratched on your story, really. So there you are recording stuff for Matt Redman. Uh, exciting, very, very exciting. And you've been drumming for Ishmael. That's amazing. So you've got this friend called Martin Smith and the two of you are doing music stuff together. Tell me what happens next. Well, we got really excited, Martin and I, about um, what we saw God doing through worship. And we had some friends who were, you know, doing some amazing stuff who became friends. And we had the previous know people like Kevin Prosh and others. And I think people like Kevin really inspired us back in the day. We thought, well, what can we do where we live? So we started a little youth meeting and invited the local churches and about 35 kids turned up from different youth groups. This is in 1992. And we called the event Cutting Edge. And uh, I'll try and get make a long story short, but within about three years, that had grown to 3,000 kids every month just gathering. And across three locations, we did it along the south coast where we live, Portsmouth, Southampton. Over 3,000 kids just turned out all from word of mouth. There's no social media back in those days. Um, and then at the end of every summer term, we would say, look, we're going to do this on the beach, bring your mates along. And we did something on the green in Little Hampton where we lived. And by the third year we'd done that, over 10,000 people were turning up. Wow. This worship event on the beach, all promoted by word of mouth. You know, there wasn't any flyers, there wasn't any posters, there was no radio. There was just everyone just telling their mates and we used to borrow some flatbed trucks and borrow some sound equipment from different places. And, and the Cutting Edge event was just a, a gathering where people worshipped together, a great space for God to really come and move and touch people's lives. And when we did th the thing outdoors on the beach, we used to give the gospel, we used to see people make decisions to follow Jesus and then just go and baptise them in the sea straight away. Oh, yes. So it, was great, it, was great, it was great fun back in the day. And that the worship team around those events then became delirious. We started to travel, you know, with the songs, the songs that were written, you know, the early delirious songs were the songs that were written for that youth event called Cutting Edge. And uh, the songs started to travel around the world and, because of the songs we got invited to go places. So we made the brave step of giving up our day jobs. And my day job, me and Martin was running a studio. So we actually sold the studio and everyone else gave up their jobs. We kind of went full time. And so from 92 to 2009, 17 years, that's pretty much all we ever did. I, so I, I first encountered you at in about, I think about 95, I, I drove in a little Skoda, a really awful Skoda, one of the original Skodas from the Czech Republic, with a, with a, a, a load of students bundled into uh, from Kent, uh, from Canterbury. It was it was not a comfortable journey to get across to you guys, but it was an amazing evening. Uh, never seen anything quite like it. So um, and went, wow, this is absolutely awesome. So very exciting to see what you were doing back then, and then amazing to see what God has done through it and the way that he has used you, not just to bring uh, music to loads of people, but numbers of times when we do this artist interview and I ask people, who've been your big influences? Who are the people that inspired you? 
time and time again, Delirious is the band that they go, you know, it starts off when I was a kid listening to Delirious and wow, did that change me. So, um, so your influence goes beyond just the music you've made. Many bands that are coming through behind you are still referencing you and thinking you guys, you guys changed the scene for them. Many people are now too young to even remember or know about Delirious. We finished in 2009. So what's that? That's, you know, that's 12 years ago since we finished. Yeah. So, so maybe, maybe the 25 year olds, things like that will be referencing you, but, uh, but it, I think you've got a very long legacy that's going to carry on. So, which is, which is great. During your time in Delirious, what, what were your absolute favorite tracks? If you don't mind me asking. Well, I think the track you played at the beginning was one of my favorites, Obsession. I loved it. It's actually one of the really early songs, but it has an amazing, I mean, I can say it because I didn't write it. Martin wrote that one. And um, I think he's done an amazing job with the lyrics, but it's kind of intensely intimate and intensely intense. <laughs> it's like a rock song that's intimate. And not many, not many times you do that. I think people think of intimate songs, they think of something very gentle and quiet. He's, am I right in thinking it's on one of the original Cutting Edge cassettes? Yeah, it's one of the, one of the original ones, yeah. And then we did it live, and it just used to go on and on. I think, you know, a lot of the Delirious songs kind of had this way of just building and building and building, often over 10 minutes. And, you know, Obsession is definitely very much one of those. And I think we had real faith that, you know, not only just the songs and the lyrics, but even the music itself would really kind of see people set free and... So that was always our, our, our plan, you know, I think. Well, when we run out of words, we just keep playing and keep playing and playing over people. And that's kind of what we did, really. Which I've got to say is a beautiful thing to have done and just to let God do his thing. But it's got to be challenging. It's got to be demanding. And I think you played over 40 countries. How did you, when you're touring and you're not maybe just able to be at your normal church and just receiving in that manner. For a band like Delirious, I guess normal church gets difficult anyway. But um, how do you receive from God when you're on the road touring and giving out and doing tiring shows late night and traveling and all the rest of it? The thing is, actually, we were really, really committed to local church. And I think that was the thing that actually just made it sustainable. And I think there's a lot of, you know, in some ways it looked like we were somewhere some corner of the earth every weekend and some ways we often were, but I think we were always home two out of every three Sundays. Wow. You know, we would often go to America, fly on a Wednesday, get back on a Sunday morning. At, he'd land at Heathrow at seven in the morning, drive down and go to church. And we would, we could do that two or three weekends a month. People at church didn't have a clue apart from the, apart from the weeks where we'd, you know, rolling at church, putting a suitcase behind us because we literally just got off the van, you know, back from the airport. That's amazing. So I think we did make local church a priority. I can remember one of our first tours in America being out with some American band. I don't even remember who they were. Now. And then saying to us, oh, well, where's your pastor? You know, every band has a pastor on the road. And we were like, well, that's a bit weird. Why do you need a pastor on the road? Surely you've committed to local church. You know, it's like we don't need a pastor on the road. We're going to, you know, we're going to go out and play as a band. That's our job. But we've got pastors, we've got relationship, we're committed to a local church. Because I think once you have a pastor on the road, you've got no reason to go home in that sense and be part of a local church. And so we were very keen and intentional that that ever didn't become a part of how we did things. And I think that's partly what gave it the sustainability that it had. Yeah. And that's, I, do you know what? I have spoken to lots of bands and 
everyone's got a slightly different way that things work for them. But I think you're the first that would try and get back for a Sunday morning back down to Littlehampton to, to get to church. That's wonderful. And I totally agree with you. The value of local church, of being in community, family, traveling and journeying together on your spiritual uh, walk is so valuable. So, wow, what a great thing to have achieved. That's a real challenge for bands today and Christian artists. Because I think also even kind of commercially today, they have to rely on their touring more to kind of put food on the table. Whereas back in the day, we were slightly different. We were, came from the era where you were selling records and part of your income was from selling records, not just playing live. So, you know, towards the latter years of Delirious when music became more digital and you stopped selling records, you definitely felt that pressure of, oh, we need to go and play more and be away more. And, you know, and wrestling with the tension of that all the time. Yeah, especially if you've got kids and things like that, being away, just not ideal at all. So you, how old are your children? Oh, mine are all grown up now, married, but, you know, I'm a, I'm a grandparent now, but we had 16 kids between us on the road. Okay, well, that's, that is, that's quite a family in itself. Almost from every age. It's like from 0 to 16, there'd be one in every year. And, I mean, my kids had a lot of fun growing up because every year for at least 10 years, back in the days when you could take children out of school without getting a reprimand. Oh, yeah, without going to prison. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We used to take our kids out for two weeks at Easter. Then you had the Easter holidays for two weeks. So they'd spend a month on the road um, every year for 10 years living in tour buses in America for a, what, one whole month of the year. And they grew up doing that and they loved that. Yeah, that, that's an amazing and awesome experience. I bet you it did in the world good and probably they learned a lot at the same time. So, uh, and do you, looking back, Adiris, uh, do you have things you go, I wish we'd done something particular? Was there something that you feel like you missed out on? Or do you feel it was just such an epic voyage that, that, that it's complete? No, I don't really have any regrets at all, really. We kind of had this motto of taking it wherever it goes. And I think we were always able to do that. We kind of owned everything ourselves, so we owned our record label. You know, hindsight's a great thing, but I think we generally always try to make the best decisions we can. You know, I have no regrets, really, about that. We had, we had such a great time. Wonderful. Because sometimes I've talked to people and, and it feels like, oh, you know, I really wish I missed out on an opportunity. Or is that to hear that you feel like you just followed God on each thing as the doors opened. Um, and you've been through some quite big doors. You've played Wembley Stadium, well, huge venues to huge crowds as well. So that, that thousand people you started off with in that town hall, what was the biggest crowd you ever played to? The biggest crowd was um, one and a half million. <laughs> Four. With, the, with, with the Pope. <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know to this day if they'd turned up to see us or the Pope. That, <laughs> that is an extraordinary number. What a, what a thing. Yeah, but you can't see it. It takes you half an hour to walk from the front of the crowd to the back. Yeah. So you, don't, you only see the first few rows. So it, does, it doesn't feel like one and a half million, but it was one of those. Where, where was it? It was in Germany, I think, on an airfield. It's like the Pope does this thing called World Youth Day. And I think it was back in the day um, when the, the, the Pope was a German dude. And um, he'd gone <laughs> back to Germany, so the, you know, the crowd had turned up. And somehow we got booked to play with the Pope. So he did mass for one and a half million people. And then uh, we got up to play. I think we found out afterwards the reason we got booked to play is because they could only get 100,000 people 
off the site every hour. It took them because there's so many people. So, you know, if we got up to play for an hour after the Pope had done his mass, we can genuinely say that we did a gig once and 100,000 people walked out <laughs> during it. Somewhere at the back of a field half an hour away that, that we could even see. To, you lost 100,000 people and didn't even notice they'd gone. I, that, we had no idea. No. That is an experience and a half, and I bet your music went down an absolute storm. So, Delirious, huge success, amazing move of God with uh, a great band. Are you guys still all great friends? Yeah, we, yeah, we are. And we see, well, two of, the, two of the five guys live in America, so we see them less. But I would FaceTime them every so often. And we chat a bit. Um, um, and then there's three of us still live locally. We see each other all the time. I was over at Martin's last weekend. But in fact, because we're a few, quite a few, well, four out of five of us are related in the band. So all our kids are cousins. So they all hang out together all the time. Of course, so. that, that would make an awful lot of sense. So... Everyone's gone on to do their own different things. Martin's pursuing his solo music. What are you all about these days? Well, many people will know that when the band ended in 2009, that same year we started the Big Church Day Out. And that harps back to the, that early conversation we had about 10,000 people gathering on the beach in Little Hampton. Um, I'd always wondered whether we might do something again that gathered people you know, in the south of England where we live. And I met this amazing family who own this beautiful country estate um, just 10 minutes from where I live. And one thing led to another and we ended up having an event on their land because they, like me, had a vision to create a space to bring the church together. And that's really what Delirious did a lot, really. We kind of travelled around the world and helped people facilitate a vision of bringing the church together. So we became part of their story in many different countries, whether that was, you know, Asia, South America, Africa, wherever we went, people wanted to gather people. And so I kind of felt it would be amazing to see what that would look like to do that in the UK. So Big Church Out started in 2009 and 13,000 people rolled up and uh, we had terrible problems with traffic and it was a very hot day and half the food stands didn't turn up and wasn't enough water to go around but somehow God kind of smiled in on it and then you know today now we're planning obviously our event for next year we just stopped for two years because of Covid um, but we'll be back in 2022 and I think we might see something you know we think can be on the last 35 to 40,000 people gathering next year so it's kind of grown and grown and grown. I am so excited. And I, I was last there in 2019. Uh, how, how many did you have in 2019? Uh, we had 27,000 that year. When 2020, when we had to cancel it because of COVID, we were on track. We were going to be well over 30,000 people there. Wow. In 2020. So now if you jump forward to, you know, a couple of years, uh, I think, you know, there's a real appetite for the church to come together again after what we've all been through. Yeah. You know, we have, we have some people that maybe come to Big Church Day out every other year, not every year. And we've got a sense already that we're seeing, I think everyone might all come back together on one year. And uh, so we're really, really excited. Not, you know, not just because it's big numbers. Obviously, I, you know, I love seeing the big numbers because the dynamic of the worship and being together is brilliant with so many people. 
but it just gives a massive, massive opportunity for people to bring their friends and hear the gospel, really. And we're seeing people travel from all over the country in the in the UK. We get quite a few people come from mainland Europe every year. And I don't want to kind of compare it to a Glastonbury thing, but only in as much as like where that feels like that's the one big thing that's almost a pilgrimage for people to go and see their favourite bands play every year. Uh, did you play Glastonbury? Uh, yeah, we did, yeah. We played main, played main stage at Glastonbury on the Pyramid. <laughs> and that is an amazing thing to do. I told one of my children that the other day and they didn't believe me. No. <laughs> and they, they had to Google it to for me to prove to them that their dad had played on the Pyramid stage at Glastonbury. They thought I was joking. So, you know, and in, in that sense, I would love it that Big Church Day became almost like this national gathering as a pilgrimage where the church it's not you know we don't come together to see our favorite bands we're not really just about that but it's more about coming together just to be together and create a space for the church to gather see and that's one of the things i also like because i'm quite ecumenical i love churches being together i appreciate there's all different flavors of church uh, and yet there's one jesus and when i was walking around the site um in 2019 I could see all these signs for all these different churches from all these different church movements and yet being together and just having a fabulous time. And I thought, you know what, it's absolutely great. There's, of course, there's differences between the different churches. And yet here they are all rocking up and just having a wonderful weekend with Jesus in the middle of everything. It, it was great. Yeah, and I think that's, that's what Big Church Day can do. I think it can sort of demonstrate unity and also celebrate diversity. You, you know, we, you, we, all we do is create a space for the whole movement. And, you know, and the whole movement is the church. And there's just, you know, many different expressions of it. And um, I think it's important that we understand that, you know, with all those different expressions of um, church, you know, the, the blessing comes, I think, when we can, you know, show unity in some ways. There's many, many initiatives that go on, things I've seen where church leaders come together across different streams and networks and denominations and initiatives and that kind of thing. And that's all really good. And I love seeing that and it's exciting. But for me, I thought, well, this is brilliant, but who's going to create the space for all the people to come together? You know, not just the leaders to talk about stuff. And I think that's what really Big Church Day Out does. I think one of the things that's great about it is it's actually really cool. Um, you can uh, absolutely, you could invite a non-Christian along and they are very likely to have a really good weekend so on the bands the bands i've got to say although you said you don't want to go just to hear the bands the bands are definitely a huge draw um so even if you don't know the bands but you go and hear them you're gonna have an amazing time because and it's a huge stage it's a great performance all those more intimate sets around for for newer songwriters come through as well which is great can i ask who have you got for 2022 yeah so we've released some names already and we've got quite a few more to come um you're gonna call me on the hopper i've got to remember them all now so the ones we've released so far um would be well maverick city are coming and they haven't been before and there's a lot of excitement around them absolutely uh we've got governor b we've got we the kingdom which is a new band we've got torren wells who's coming back for the second time he's amazing yeah Lasting crowns are an old favorite for lots of people 
Yeah. Um, we got Jonathan and Melissa Helser. Um, pe- lots of people love them. And if you don't know them, you'll probably know some of their songs like Raise a Hallelujah and No Longer Slaves. Yeah. Uh, we've got Lecrae, who had a bit of hip hop. Um, and we got a guy called Travis Green, who's one of my favorite kind of gospel artists. He's done a lot of stuff with Elevation Music. He's amazing. Uh, and then, of course, we've got the old favourite, Matt Redman, who we've already talked about, and kind of bring us together at the end of the night. I've uh, got Ellie, Ellie Lion Bear is going to be there. Um, and that's a few so far. But in the end, we're going to end up with about 60 different artists. It's just huge. Is it, it, if, if you have not been to the Big Church Day Out and you're thinking... Well, do I want to bother? Oh, I've got to camp and oh, it's a it's a bit of a trek to travel there. I've got to say, please do get booked into it. Go and look at the website. What's the web address, Tim? It's uh, bigchurchdayout.com. Yeah, get across to bigchurchdayout.com. Honestly, you won't regret going. I'd be so surprised if you regret going. It was, I had such a blast. So right, right now there's a sale on tickets till the end of July. Um, so, you know, so it's a good time to get your tickets or... If you don't get them now, the best way to come to Big Church Day Out is always to get a group of people. And, you know, we're kind of this large event, but for hundreds of small churches. Yeah. So we get something like 400 church groups come. Well, I'm, I'm certainly hoping to take a group of students uh, to it. So, um, and I know that they're going to love it. So, um, so numbers of our church um, student leadership team have been, uh, and we thought, you know what, this will be just the most fun thing to, to take students along to. Um, so, yeah. What's your favourite thing about it, though? Other than other than the unity between the churches, what's the what's the moment that you most look forward to? Oh gosh, there's so many moments that I love. I mean, I just love it that I just get to do it. It is amazing. I mean, it's frustrating too because you spend all year planning these two days, and then there's so much content I can't get to see it all and appreciate it all. So you kind of want to be sat at every stage and talk to every person that's there almost and it's just a bit overwhelming in that sense but I do I mean I, I love the moments where I think the highlight for many people for me too is always you know the end of the night moment where we kind of wind everything down on site everything stops and there's just one place which is like the main stage and that really brings us all together and whatever happens at Big Church Day, whatever sort of fun we've had all day long, and we'll always have that moment at the end of the night where we're worshipping together. It's a vertical experience of, you know, the gathered church being together. That's really the highlight, I think, for me and I think for most people. Yeah, I, I, I totally would agree. It's, it's such an amazing moment and atmosphere and presence and just a celebration. Biggest biggest celebration. I, I wonder if I know it's the, I knew, I, it's the biggest Christian festival in the UK. I wonder if it's the biggest Christian festival in, in, in Europe. Um, do you know, is it? I think in terms of, yeah, in Europe probably is now, yeah. I mean, certainly in the UK, it's, you know, it's kind of double the size of anything, any other national event. Wow. In terms of footfall and people who come. So, you know, we're not, we're not out there just to be the biggest, but I, there's something, you know, obviously the clues in the name, the big church. 
So we do want to create a space for the big church to gather. And, we, and right now, you know, we've got a real kind of plan and a vision to see it grow a lot more over the next three to five years. And Out of interest, if people turn up, sometimes uh, God sort of does a little bit of a work on people, touch their hearts, things might come up that they go, oh, I need some help with stuff. Is there like a any sort of pastoral prayer tent or anything of that nature while you're there? Yeah, we do have a tent. Or we have a worship tent, in fact, and we have a kind of a prayer team in there. So people can find a space. There is a space for that. I, I once approached, tell you the truth, I, I approached a stall that was a 24-7 stall. And as I stood there, um, I just started weeping for no reason, just because it was 24, just, just the whole thing about 24-7 prayer just hit me as being just amazing. So, and I really do think there's a lot of anointing on what those guys are doing. So the fact that they're there with you, partnering with you is, is wonderful. Who else are your partners? Oh, we've got loads of partners. I mean, I'm, our kind of main partner in terms of charitable stuff would be Tear Fund, but we work a lot also with Bible Society, CAT, Compassion. I mean, we have something like 130 charity organisations at the event. Wow. Because we have a big exhibition space. Yeah. So, you know, we have loads of people represented in there. So we love working with all those people. They're all very much part of what goes on. Now we've got... One last track uh, from you, Tim. What's, what's the track you've chosen for your last track? Well, I've chosen a track actually from someone. We don't know if he's coming to Big Church Day yet. We have invited him, but we don't know yet. But he's one that he's a, somebody I'm a real fan of, Crowder. And he's got a new record out this year. And it's the kind of lead track on that record called Good God Almighty. Yeah. It's just a brilliant record. He makes great music. I'm a big fan. It's quite edgy. So let's pray that he can make it, you know, in 2022. That would be fantastic if he can. But he's been many times before, but I think people will love his new record. Yeah, so the the, the track released at the start of 2021 and the album uh, Milk and Honey just came out uh, in June uh, 2021. So um, what's your favourite thing uh, about Dave Crowder? His beard, obviously. <laughs> yes, that is an outstanding beard, that is for sure. Is uh, is a guy who's done some amazing music, hasn't he? Yeah, I kind of love it because he kind of goes there with his lyrics. He just says it as it is in terms of, it's quite, you know, and there's some real challenge stuff there. So I, I, I love it. I think people should check his music out and, you know, have a listen to some of the stuff he's saying. It's good. So before before we play it, so you're listening to Crowder, you like him. Who else are you listening to right now regularly? Oh, well, at the minute, I'm having to listen to Christian stuff because, because we're looking at, you know, who we should be inviting to the event next year. So we're listening to all sorts of stuff and and different things like that. Um, I, I can tell you that Mike Scheuster from Mercy Me, when I was speaking with him, he said... He would like an invite, please. Oh, Mike from Mercy Me, yeah. Yeah, we haven't had Mercy Me, actually, and I know those guys. Yeah. I've done loads of gigs with them over the years. Yeah, they, they're, they're very complimentary about, about you guys. So um, uh, so definitely he, he would be very excited about that as a possibility. In fact, if there was if there was one band you would really like to get in the future, any, any band at all, who would that be? Oh, who would I love to get? I would love to get... As an absolute curveball, I'd love to get Dolly Parton there just for the fun of it. Yeah, you know, you know, you know what? <laughs> I'd say that, but I think she's done so many kind of 
duos with Christian artisan. Yeah, so Zach Williams uh, for King and Country. Yeah, there's got to be. You know what? There's got to be some connections. If you if you manage to get Zach Williams and for King and Country to come at the same time, yeah, she'd have to come to sing sing the songs with them. Surely it would just be a hoot, wouldn't it? It would be amazing. I'm not sure. You know, she's quite the person who you invite to kind of close the end of the weekend. You know, leading us all in worship, but stick her on at eight o'clock in the evening and play some of the old hits. I think the young, you know, like, even like when she did Glastonbury, the young people and the old people would love it. So that's kind of, she's on my secret wish list. Well, if I speak to her at any point, I will mention you guys. I have invited her and I've got to be honest, I've not heard back yet, but you never know what might happen. So, um, so yeah, um, if, if she comes on my show, I'll definitely say, oh, Tim, he, he, he's got an invite for you. Yeah. That, that, would be, that would be a bag of fun, that is for sure. Um, so let me jump back, though. The track that we're going to play right now is um, called Good God Almighty. Uh, it's your pick, Tim Jupp, and it's by Dave Crowder. And I just want to say, Tim, on behalf of everybody at Hope FM and our listeners, thank you so much for the blessing that you have been to the church with your amazing dedication, wonderful music. And thank you for all that you're doing with Big Church Day Out. I'm certainly going to be supporting you from here um, and making sure we play the, the artists that you've got coming uh, and we'll keep flagging up all the good that you're doing uh, to bring the church together and provide such a fun, wonderful and God-filled uh, weekend. Thanks so much for your time today. Oh, you know what we haven't done? You know what we haven't done? I feel really bad. We have not mentioned the dates. Oh, the dates, yeah. Can you just... Yeah, when, it, when is it? The dates are June the 3rd and the 4th um, in 2022. And for those of you familiar with Big Church Day, we're normally on a Saturday and Sunday, but they've got to move the bank holiday weekends next year. Oh, yeah. Uh, because the Queen's Jubilee. So we've moved our event to remain on the, ba ba you know, on the bank holiday. So we're now on a Friday and Saturday just for next year. But it does mean the Thursday is also a bank holiday. So wherever you're from, you can travel on the Thursday, do big church day out Friday, Saturday, and drive home Sunday. And I've got to say thank you so much to Tim Jupp for joining us for the artist interview. Thank you for the tracks you selected and your heart that you shared and the amazing stuff you're doing at Big Church Day Out. Really appreciated your time. And the good news is if you enjoyed this episode, there are many more interviews from many different artists for you to discover. So just check out the other episodes on whichever podcast platform you're listening to right now. Until next time, you've been listening to me, Gordon T., on the artist interview, a podcast by Hope FM. God bless. Talking to some of the best names in contemporary Christian music. This is the Hope FM artist interview.